Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. My name is Mudiwa Kavaza, and for today, we do get into what I think is a very important discussion and probably uh, something that a lot of people are having debates, discussions, and probably doing a lot of research about um, right now in the current uh, climate and economy, and that is uh, what's going on in terms of solar power um, in South Africa. Africa. We've had a lot of experts on this platform talking about uh, the plague that is load shedding in South Africa right now. Uh, I, I recently heard a very startling statistic, you know, to say that by June uh, we had uh, reached, you know, 72 days um, of load shedding. And um, if someone looks back into the history, um, you know, of South Africa over the last uh, decade or so, 2018, 19, and into 2020, uh, you're looking at around 12 days on average um, of load shedding. But now at half a year, you're sitting at 72 days and one can imagine um, what it might end up being if the trend continues uh, for the rest of the year. So understandably, a lot of people are, you know, looking into um, solar. Uh, we often talk about PV. I believe that stands for photovoltaic. And, uh, you know, we hear a lot about um, alternative energy solutions and uh, a lot of businesses that are coming up, um, you know, with uh, interesting business models just around tackling, you know, alternative power, but also at the same time, how do you rejig, you know, something that has been around for a while? So for today, we're definitely happy uh, to be joined by Vincent Maposa, uh, who is the founder and CEO of Utility, um, and uh, just getting into this one because I met Vincent for the first time earlier this year. Uh, we were in Dubai together. Um, listeners of the podcast will know that I was in Dubai earlier in the year. We did some reviews on it. We spoke about it. And he was one of the entrepreneurs. He actually gave quite a, you know, rousing speech around the state of, you know, small businesses, entrepreneurship, um, you know, to the president at the time, which I found really great. So I've been looking forward, you know, to this discussion. <laughs> Vincent, greetings to you today. Thanks, and uh, thank you as well to your listeners for, for giving us attention today. No, no, definitely. So, Wetility, uh, we, we know we're talking about solar, uh, but, you know, for yourselves, uh, some, some definitions around what it is that, uh, you know, you guys, uh, what you guys do, and also more importantly, how you guys have, uh, I guess, gone about differentiating yourselves in the market. So uh, we started this business with uh, the, the broad idea of delivering energy independence to, to everyone. And uh, while we were you know, developing a variety of things in the background before we actually launched uh, the business, we, we looked at the, the market that's underserved. And uh, what was very, very clear was that the residential market is underserved. And that's both across single dweller unit uh, homes as well as multi-dweller unit homes. So your multi-dweller unit homes would be sectional title, apartments, and the like. So we, we are very deliberate about uh, the target market being, um, you know, the residential space across, um, you know, very small homes uh, right up to, you know, you know, shared living or complex living type of structures. And then with that, because of the commonalities in power consumption and the product applications, we also branch into SMMEs, uh, and that's typically systems under one megawatt. So the, the solutions are primarily hybrid solar solutions. 
So it's your, uh, you know, your solar PV panels, your batteries, your inverters. And what we did in that space is we, we sort of got about our business in three particular areas or categorize it into three into three areas, which is software, hardware, and financing. So on the hardware side, we have a, a hybrid battery storage system called the Utility Base, which is basically an inverter battery switch gear, which is an easy to install uh, device, especially in the home space where things such as uh, aesthetics matter, security as well matters, as well as just the ease to, to install because you don't want to be too intrusive and spend too much time installing uh, these devices in people's homes. And then on the other end, we have software, which is uh, which is called WeX, which basically takes a customer on a novel journey from from customer acquisition. All the customer needs to enter is their residential address, as well as their monthly electricity spend or bill. And then in the back end, calculation takes place, which takes into account their location as well, uh, right, and, and provides them with a the preliminary design which then becomes, you know, a full-on proposal after a couple of steps. In the background, we do credit checks and other things as well quite, quite efficiently. And there are a variety of payment options, which brings us into financing, right? Uh, which is, you know, you can you can purchase a system for cash out, right? You can get what we refer to as a pay at pace lease, which is a lease to own, or you can go via your bank uh, and get uh, financed by your bank. So, you you know, you submit a credit application and the bank provides you with uh, with the credit and for us, it, it it's a purely a cash sale, right? However, you have you know you have acquired credit from your bank, so that's that's how we structured our business, and we're primarily targeting the residential space across uh, single dweller units and as well as multi uh, dweller units, but we also branch into SMMEs, so uh, you know SMMEs such as farms, uh, small holdings, um, small factories. Uh, we recently completed work at a canning factory, which was about a 200 kilowatt peak. Uh, we also look at uh, corporate headquarters as well. Uh, so anything that's in the SMME space, or for us, what we would classify as anything under one megawatt, we are quite keen on on working in that space. And what we do as well is we ensure that, uh, and, you know, as a as a starting point, we always try to make sure that the customer receives a hybrid solution, mostly because you, you have you know a lot of grid tie solutions, which is purely solar. But the the problem in South Africa is twofold, right? Rising electricity prices and the you know the unavailability of power. So you alluded to. 72 days, I believe, uh, of, of load shedding already, uh, you know, experienced before before the middle of the year. And this is, you know, statistically the worst period of load shedding South Africa has ever experienced. And, you know, most experts are looking at this, you know, continuing or being sustained for the next five to 10 years, mostly as, you know, as the as the main power utility or it's called the supply of last resort continues to battle issues related to, to their debt as well as just operational efficiencies. You know, quite an interesting, you know, business that you guys have been able to, you know, develop there. And I like the fact that, you know, you have, you know, innovation across the three different stacks um, that you've, you've, you know, that you've created in the business around the ownership, around the software, you know, and around the the, the solution itself. But I, I, I'm just going to ask you this question, you know, in a space where people are making a purchase that is seen as either a grudge purchase or something that's a necessity. Um, it, it's going to sound like a bit of a, a dumb question, but I, but I was just asking, I was just wondering to myself, is it even necessary to innovate um, in a space where, <laughs> where people are going to buy solar anyway? I remember a couple of months ago, there is a big... Um, 
what you call this there's a big uh, electronics shop um in uh, in Joburg in uh, Melrose uh I don't mind saying winters it's G Wiz and uh, I'm a geek people know I'm a geek so I'm always there you know just buying small electronics here and there and I remember the one time I went there and it was packed right and I was like, why is this place packed? It's specialist. Usually there's like very few people there. You know, you might see one or two people. There isn't a lot going on. But on this day, it was packed. And I was like, what's going on? And apparently everyone was there to buy inverters, right? So clearly there's a huge demand for, you know, this stuff. As you said, projections, five, ten years that we might continue to see of this type of load shedding. So, yeah, I was just wondering, is this um, necessarily a space that one needs to innovate in or does the innovation just give you that leg up and then you just continue with whatever that foothold is you know in, in into the future innovation is is actually critical and necessary in this space uh, and the primary thing that drives that is is regulation uh, firstly right and also compliance. Um, so if, if you think about, you know, people buying inverters and getting the electrician or, or a friend to install a system into their home, it's likely or it's unlikely that they're receiving a certificate of compliance. Uh, secondly, the safety associated with that with that installation, it can be questionable or is, you know, is is up to to scratch. The other side to that is, uh, and, and I come from from sort of a, a, a deep power background, having worked in the, in the power space my, my my entire career, there's a thing which is commonly referred to as total cost of ownership and full lifetime costs, right? So if you buy an inverter, which say has a warranty of 12 months and you buy very cheap gel batteries and within 12 months, you're back again to buy the same you know amount of kit over say the 20 year period that our systems are expected to last you probably spent three to four X in terms of just CapEx on, on systems, right? And then you get into the home as well, which is becoming a more and more power hungry and complex space where automation is probably one of the key areas that, that are, that are critical. So if you are, you know, in the solar space, sure, you can, you know, come up with a, you know, a simple system which involves a couple of panels, an inverter there, gel batteries and anything else that you can pick up that's, you know, that's off the shelf. But integrating all of those things into into an existing home and making sure that they have relevance when you consider the entire infrastructure setup. So a hybrid solution, for example, requires a smart meter for it to optimize power consumption between, you know, grid supply and the system or the uh, hybrid solar systems, you know, own power uh, source. So that's that's something that definitely needs a level of tech, tech, tech savviness, right, in order to do that. But then when you add things such as just the dynamics around consumption, right, um, you know, a home is not a a static consumer of power. Uh, power consumption has evolved within the home. We saw with COVID, literally the, the power consumption profile changed, right? And you had a lot of uh, daytime peaks as opposed to the traditional nighttime peaks because people were spending a lot more time at home. So then power consumption became irregular. And if you don't have that from a data perspective and you're not able to innovate around that from an information perspective, then you could be left behind as a business. So there's, I think there's a large number of, of, of entities right now that are basically selling you or selling, you know, solar panels, selling you a battery, selling inverters. But is it sustainable going into the future? And then other side to that is the innovation is not necessarily in the, in the product itself. Innovation is in the experience because you have customers who are becoming more and more energy intensive, but don't necessarily want to become power experts themselves. 
So you, you don't want to be sitting around watching your inverter and trying to figure out what's actually happening with it, right? Which is what you are sometimes forced to become. Then the whole concept of remote monitoring and management, and which is basically done on behalf of the customer, becomes a critical thing. And if you are unable to develop the tech that supports that, then you're basically dumping customers with with CapEx equipment, but not providing them with the service. And what typically happens, and, and we've experienced this over the last couple of um, weeks, actually, is we're actually replacing systems that have been dumped where it's a high quality system, but the, the customer was not you know, getting the full value that they purchased or that, that they paid for because they in turn had to become a solar expert and basically, you know, mind the, their system, basically watch it, figure out what's happening with it. Where we come in as a company is we offer that as a service, but all service related industries or at least service related businesses. And we can look at uh, one business that we admire quite a bit, which is Amazon, which built its entire philosophy and premise on customer service. And the innovation is is literally on the ability to serve customers. The product underlying product itself is, you know, milk from Whole Foods or, you know, a book written by an author in Sri Lanka, for example, right? But the innovation that it, that, that it took for them to be able to deliver that book anywhere in the world is basically what, what drives us in a very similar fashion. So we're innovating in order to create a platform that delivers energy independence for everyone. And energy independence as well means that the customer is potentially independent from physically managing the system themselves. And we do it in the background automatically. And then in addition to that, you're then able to optimize consumption of power within the home in partnership with the customer. For example, when you look at some of that data, you realize that, look, I think your just your, your running cost from a lighting perspective is quite high. So perhaps we retrofit the entire home with the right level of lighting. And there's that evolves as well, right? If you remember when when ESCOM started going through its, you know, its its, its difficult periods, they had um they had what, what were referred to as energy service companies that were responsible for retrofitting certain equipment in homes that included geysers, lighting and whatnot. And back then it was CFLs, which were you know technically the most efficient and most affordable at the time. But now when you look at LED lights, you're looking at five to eight watts of lights. So if you're not in the game and you're not sticking with that customer and driving the message and consistently being a touch point between the technology, the product and the customer side of the equation, then you, you could, you know, definitely, you know, be left behind. So the innovation is purely in how we actually serve the customers and also serving them in a manner that's meaningful for them. And that's also scalable and repeatable. I like the fact that we are touching on service, right? Because I think it it helps us to get down to what the actual core of the business is, right? Because you've given you gave us the three you gave us the three stacks earlier on of how you guys are innovating. Uh, but it sounds as if the the service element is probably the linchpin, you know that uh, you know that you guys are looking at. Uh, I often tell people that. Uh, uh, I learned this, uh, you know, in my time in Grahamstown. The actual competition of a nightclub is not another nightclub. It's a liquor store, right? Because uh, a nightclub is basically a liquor store that just brings you in with entertainment, right? Um, so in this particular instance, you guys are a service company. You're not necessarily positioning yourselves, you know, from a utility point of view or from, you know, that you're more positioning yourselves from, um, yeah, the service part of things. So maybe with that in mind, how are you guys 
thinking around stickiness with the consumer or the customer and uh, I guess annuity type of revenues. Absolutely. So stickiness is 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 a critical thing for us. So I think from a philosophy perspective, we're customer-led. So everything we build has to do with addressing a, a customer pain point. And where we innovate ahead of the customer, it's because we've taken a bold stance on what they require in future. So stickiness for us is measured by, uh, firstly, apathy towards payment. And we have zero apathy towards payment for our lease book, which is, which is a critical thing for us. So all our lease customers are currently paying, uh, you know, making sure that they pay their leases at the end of every month and on time. So that's that for us shows that there's some gratification that the customer is receiving, which is prompting them to make sure that, you know, a payment is made. So that's a critical uh, thing on our side. And from an experience perspective, we we are we are really focused on uptime because what uptime delivers is it allows us to be the sticky component in the whole dynamic. And then other products or other services can then bolt onto what we do. So, for example, in the fiber space, right, it's pointless for you to lay infinite, you know, amounts of fiber if at the end point there is no power, right? Because ultimately it's driven by a router and the ability to consume that unless if you're really looking at, you know, moving back to 5G and LTE as your source of delivery. But the cost to serve is a bit too high on that. So the stickiness for us is there's codependency as well, Um Basically, from from what we provide has sort of codependencies with how the home functions in its entirety, and ultimately we are probably the most sticky component outside of what ESCOM traditionally has 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 provided. So that's the stickiness part. But then you overlay that in terms of just how do we retain customers, how do we improve our service by always being in touch with our customers. So that's why we're providing them with it with an app. We provide them with all the means necessary for them to consistently provide us with feedback and keep those avenues open. So the stickiness just doesn't extend to are the customers happy? You know, are they paying for the services? Are we in constant communication? And do we get regular feedback on how the system is performing and have regular touch points, you know, just to check how the customer's mood has changed since our last interaction. And the stickiness is also driven by the fact that we offer operation and maintenance contracts as a standard, right? So every system we install comes with a contract where we have a regular touch point with the customer. So twice a year, we clean the panels. A customer success manager spends time with the customer trying to understand how the dynamics in that home have changed from a power consumption perspective. So when you look at that and it's in its entirety, and you're able to then have an arm's length conversation with a variety of our partners around, hey, for example, visa control is a big thing. People want the ability to switch off their giza while on a you know on a plane which has Wi-Fi, right? Because they forgot to do it. And you think, well, that's probably not like a critical thing. And we can show you evidence that that's what our customers actually want to be able to do. Because ultimately, as we said, customers are also people just want to enjoy. You know, they want to enjoy their lives. Let me just put it simply, right? And they don't want to worry about variety of of things that they're not necessarily experts at at you know at, at doing. It's the same with the you know the traditional vehicle and the asset finance model, which comes with a standard motor plan. It's not because people cannot, if they invest enough time, figure out how to service their cars efficiently. They just want someone to take care of it and someone who they can go back to and you know and have a conversation with if it doesn't work out, and also someone who's credible when it comes to so. The stickiness for us is driven, as you rightly put it, right, by the service offering and our ability to maintain that relationship with the customer. 
you know, electricity and power is one of those things that people are used to buying, right? We, you, it's sort of baked in. You know that as part of uh, uh, my utility bill, I'm going to pay water, electricity, rent. You know, it's it's just one of those things that you know it must happen. Uh, but I can imagine that uh, from a cost point of view, um, you know, leading on, you know, from this thread around stickiness, right, is uh, there's a big jump that that must happen, you know, between, you know, paying, I don't know, three, two, three hundred grand a month for, you know, for prepaid electricity or whatever it is that a person is using. Um, there's a jump between that and uh, what do you call this? I like the fiber example that you used because I think it 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 uh, it sh- it it makes the point that I'm trying to make. Fiber tele uh, fiber internet access is the cheapest form of internet access in South Africa, right? Per gig, per whatever metric you want to use, it's cheap. Unfortunately, it has a high upfront cost. You right. You pay. I don't know, fifteen hundred, two thousand, whatever the number is. You know, to install. You know, uh, the ro- the 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 routers. Uh, you know, the fiber boxes, etc. To set the thing up. But from there, you can easily get into an unlimited plan for five hundred rand, and there, you know, your your cost of data is much cheaper. You know, than the cost of uh, you know buying your normal mobile data and the like. And I can imagine that from a solar pan solar point of view, the same debate, you know, is 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 at play. You you're you're used to paying these monthly amounts, but now. For you to have a solar system, there's that upfront cost that must happen. And then from there, you know, uh, the maths tells us that your electricity, um, you know, consumption, you know, per rand or whatever you want to use is going to come down. It's going to be cheaper uh, than what, you know, what you were used to. Uh, Can you talk to us, you know, just around how uh South Africans are responding to that. We did speak about it, it being a grudge purchase um just now. And the reason I am asking that question is to say, do you ever get approached, at least from a service point of view, to say, guys, um I don't know if I can I just have the software? <laughs> because <laughs> because you you mentioned the fact that you have your hybrid system, you have your software, uh, and all that, and you know I'm sure everything works together, right? But do you ever have the people that'll be like, I I've already spent money on that other thing. I like what you are saying on the service side, but the upfront cost, I feel like I'm already done with that. Can I just bring you guys in for the service, the data insights, you know, uh, part of the discussion? It's actually an interesting one. Right? So, with, with for example, we have enterprise solutions where, you know, one of South Africa's largest banks is making use of our software um, as a, to, to attract customers off their platform. And they lend in the back end. So that's the thing, right? It's, uh, it's one where... The customer acquisition side of the software is 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 quite novel in the market, and you know our partners like it, customers like it as well. Then there's the other side, which is the post installation, remote man- monitoring and management side of the software, which includes things such as smart mode. So already the way we built our software is to allow for that to be a possibility. So we built it using the microservices philosophy, where you can have an API 
to specific parts of the software to allow that to happen. So it's something that we can definitely start, you know, looking at. Interestingly for us, the the run rate from a sales growth perspective is such that we are comfortable at this point to give it to our own customers only, right? For 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 as long as we're able to. But the way we built the software is to enable that as as a as a thing. And then when you think about the how how we are able to generate interest and how we're able to acquire customers. It's a mix of two things. So we went out and marketed and tried to attract customers you know, as, as hard as we could. Interestingly, um, we had a few customers that were interested, but more out of curiosity as opposed to because they have inherently made a decision and they gave us a shot because there's a lot of this called misinformation around what the benefits are and a lot of misinformation around what the true and actual costs are. And it might not actually be misinformation. It just might be mis- it, this, it, it needs to align with what the, the homeowner or the customer actually desires, right? And sometimes it's just misaligned. So you need to bring that alignment back. So these customers basically, you know, took a bet on us and we're deeply grateful to those guys. But what happened after that is once they're able to refer customers or at least provide evidence that it actually works, then you have a snowball effect. And customers believe in in seeing things in, in action and actually working out for other people. Then they then make a decision. So we have customers that sign up on the basis of nothing other than a recommendation on how great the service was with, uh, with another party. When you get into dynamics such as the actual savings, which this is information we provide them upfront, right? How much you're going to save on your monthly electricity bill. We provide it on a daily basis when you're a customer. This is how much you actually saved today relative to yesterday. This is how much we you know, basically expect you to save over this month just based on, on the math behind how electricity works. And before, you know, this um, is called a round of load shedding, we we had a 50-50 mix between customers that were keen mostly because they wanted to save a bit of money and other 50% were just tired of load shedding and they didn't want to, they didn't care, right? So the price elasticity around that, you can guess what what, what it actually looks like. Now that we're in this deep level of load shedding, which is highly unpredictable, but is also for sustained periods of time. Most of those customers are looking at it as less of a grudge purchase, but actually a necessity. And they are making the decisions a lot faster on actually getting a system from us. They they look at the value that it provides relative to how they want to live their lives or how they want to run their businesses, as opposed to what does it actually cost, right? And that's that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's a good thing because there's an evolution as well. And with any industry such as ours, what that essentially drives is just cost reduction. Because if more and more people, you know, just from an economies of scale perspective, more and more people are purchasing systems and are making conscious decisions, the cost to serve them becomes a lot less. So I believe that, yeah, you know, five, six years ago, it was definitely a grudge purchase. It's slowly evolving towards becoming a necessity. And what's important with that, and you, you mentioned the fiber model, which Anyway, if if you if you really look at it, it, has evolved quite a bit, right? So if you remember initially when when it started out, your upfront costs were a lot higher, right? So nowadays your upfront cost is typically a router, and in most cases your ISP gives you a free router, right? And if you want to have you know extenders in the home because you have a fairly sizable area to cover, then obviously you 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 pay for those uh, associated costs. And there was a basic fee that you paid, and then you had all different types of rates. 
or you know out of bundle or whatever they, they refer to it as and at the end of the month your bill could be anything between two thousand and ten thousand rand depending on how much you gamed or how much you you streamed during that that month and they've reverted to a model where it's pretty much evergreen you pay a fixed amount and it runs because they have you know basically lowered the cost they figured out a way to return, you know, to their shareholders in a in a sustainable manner, but also to create less noise for the customer. Where you know you're paying 500 rand for the next X number of years, you can exit that contract at any point. So pricing as well in our space, mostly because we have entered the market as a you know lease to own player, is also going to evolve to the extent that it will become less and less of a grudge purchase. So for us, for example, the cheapest system on a 20 year lease or 240 month. Sorry, excuse me, is about 1,250 rand. Uh, if you're looking at 120 month system, you're looking at about 1,800 rand per month, which is what, you know, what customers otherwise paying for an iPhone and, you know, other, you know, mobile services related perks. And these customers are basically, you know, entering into 24 month, 36 month contracts and getting the latest iPhone well before that contract expires. So it's pretty much become an evergreen solution and the telcos have benefited from that without necessarily terming it an evergreen contract. So I think that's where this will probably evolve towards and we're already looking at ways that we can, you know, advance that as a model for customers to be able to benefit. And just from an evolution of the product as well, we're looking at across the entire spectrum of customers from the customer who pays 300 Rand to 10,000 Rand or 30,000 rand. Currently, we're serving customers who pay a bill of above 1,000 rands. All we're doing in that space is getting the right product and getting the product market fit and looking at the segment as well and providing them with the system. But from a payment perspective, very similarly to, to what some of the fiber players are doing in the townships, right? They basically, they've come up with a pricing model, which allows the homeowners or, you know, the subscribers in that space to, to pay for a system in a manner that's actually meaningful for them. Right. And I don't know if you've seen some of the statistics on just uptake in, in the townships relative to relative to some of the other areas of, of Johannesburg. And there's more uptake in the townships. So the model has to evolve um, and you have to move it from being a grudge purchase, even in how it is actually paid for, to making it seamless and simple for the customer. No, most certainly. And uh, I think this... Uh... You know, we spent quite a bit of time talking about, uh, you know, the stickiness factor and how the, the business model has to evolve and, you know, how, you know, things have evolved. At least we are at a stage where the general cost of solar systems has come down, you know, uh, to a level where the likes of, you know, utility are able to actually, you know, uh, innovate uh, just around how some of those business models actually work and actually making it a little bit more enticing um, to get, you know, more people onto it. And as you said, um, that move away from it being a grudge purchase, uh, there's a lot of work uh, that definitely needs to happen, you know, along the way for us to, you know, for us to get there. Before I let you go, it's two things for us. Uh, the first one, is to come back to something that you spoke about at the beginning is the fact that you guys are looking at your, um, you said uh, the small businesses, um, single dweller, you know, um, residences, you know, that type of thing, right? And I like, and once again, I, I like the, I'm a telecoms person, so I, I'm enjoying all the fiber references right now. And 
for this conversation, this will be the last fiber reference. As we've seen in fiber, right? Because when you have a fiber network, let's say in a neighborhood, let's say Parktown, you have an operator. Usually, unfortunately, there'll be like four of them that all go and dig on the same street, right? But you at least know that there's a fiber line that's running along my road. If I want that service, I simply just go and tap into that fiber line and I get fiber at my house. Right now, and I'm thinking about where we began. Back in the day, people had like some exotic solutions at their houses. Those that had money had these huge satellite dishes. And back in the day, obviously, there was ADSL, you know, all of this stuff. And people were trying to get, um, you know, just as, as best an internet connection as they could. But with the evolution of technology, now you don't need to have the big satellite dish and, you know, all of that stuff. The cost has come down, etc. Do you see going forward? Do you see the market continuing to be that where I, as Muliwa, come, you know, to a company like yours and say, I want a solar solution, right? Or do we see an evolution where you have uh, little solar base stations in neighborhoods where people can just go and, you know, uh, tap in uh, to say, ah, you know, uh, maybe... You know, I'm not afraid to say ESCOM, so I'm going to say ESCOM. ESCOM is not doing the things for me. City Power is not doing the things for me. My municipality is not doing the things for me. I want an alternative. And there's a solar base station over there. Can you guys just, I want to tap into that instead of, you know, uh, the grid. Do you, is that a possibility? It is a possibility. And, and I think what, what you're alluding to is something that I think, anyone who's in this space is eyeing with, you know, with, with keen interest. The, the difficulty with it is, so let's talk about the, the principles around it, right? So you have what I would refer to as physical power plants, and then you have virtual power plants. So if you think about it, in principle, ESCOM operates a, a blend of the two, where as Mudiwa, you, you're not necessarily making a decision on where your power comes from, but it's delivered from multiple sources, right? In certain cases, it's imported from, from Mozambique and, and the like, right? So that's a, there's a physical delivery of power to your home, but there's a virtual exchange that governs that. So Mudiwa requires 10 kilowatt hours at this point or a kilowatt hour at this point. Can we deliver it to him? He shouldn't worry about where it comes from. Right, and it's delivered to you. So in that scenario, where where we see the market going is, if you have a large number of plants, say utility at, at some point has a million homes that have a physical you know solution, right? That have panels, inverters, and a battery, and you take that into account, that's a fairly sizable you know system, right? That at any point you could say, I'd like to trade my power virtually, right? And then say, look. 50% of my plants are able to give you X number of kilowatt hours for the next 10 hours because I have enough power in, in the batteries and, you know, that's dissipated into the system, right? Then you've, you've dealt with, to some extent, the pricing issue around it, right? Where utilities power might be, you know, 20% cheaper than the power utilities or might be available only during the day, something to that effect. So you've created economic liberalization, which allows for transactions to flow. And there's a ledger that governs that, that ability to do that. The difficulty though now is you have 
issues related to time of use. And you have municipalities and ESCOM responsible for the distribution and transmission infrastructure. And they ultimately govern where physical electrons actually end up. So from a legislation perspective, yes, there's a substation just down the road. It could be generating tons of power. But for it, literally, it could be that substation could be right next to your house. That's your neighbor. For you to have a line cross between that you know, power station, let's call it that, and you know, there's a whole regulation and licensing issue that you need to get past. So you need a consolidation point and you need to some extent uh, an, uh, basically an arbitrator or someone who determines that if Iwa requires power from you know the power station next door and he's willing to pay for it, it should be delivered. And he should not worry about how it was delivered as long as it's delivered. So that I think is where everyone is supposing the market is going to evolve towards. And that will just lead to more electrons being available and you have fewer and fewer uh, power outages. And, and it, there's, there's sort of, there's an economic efficiency that's driven by the fact that there's enough, there are enough power suppliers and there, there are enough off takers of power. Ultimately, what any power producer wants to do is to have less and less capex assets. And you, you'd also prefer to have less costly capex assets. So the principles of building anything is bigger the build, uh, the more uh, the cheaper it is, right? Maybe that's not the case for ESCOM at this point, right? But that's that's what we we hope it, it it should lead to. So we don't necessarily view ourselves as an entity that will build power plants endlessly. At some points, there's going to be some formation of microgrids, nanogrids, or something to that effect, which allows power exchange to exist within a confined society. And we're already seeing that with some of the requests we're getting from some of the multi-dweller unit spaces where the state is basically saying, become our power provider, <clears throat> right? Set up plant on this Dolomite land or this fallow land that's within our estate. You set up the, the battery storage system as well. You purchase power on our behalf from ESCOM and all we want is power delivered to homes. So that's that's a reality. That's something that's quite pervasive as well. If you think about it outside of South Africa, in areas where there is no power grid, basically, right? So, so that I think as a model is it. it, it will, we will get to that point naturally, but there, there are a lot of other moving parts around how regulation, uh, you know, the, the the laws nationally and provincially, as well as licensing, uh, permit for that. But I think with all the calls that Cape Town, City of Johannesburg are making. Uh, to allow power producers, and this is, you know, all the commercial and industrial power plants to start feeding power onto the grid. They are ultimately looking at a scenario where the grid is always energized and there's enough power to, to provide that. The, the, the main thing around it is, does the consumer have choice with regards to where they get their power from? And is it something that's sustainable and supported by an independent system and market operator, which is the critical thing in, in this scenario? Yeah, no, most certainly going forward, uh, keen to see how that, you know, in particular develops and uh, especially, you know, hoping that the economic incentive is driving, you know, this work in the background, uh, that there are people that are feverishly working on the problem already. Um, as you said, uh, whatever existing regulation, in, you know, was and is for a different paradigm, a previous paradigm, you know, so going forward, there will need to be those evolutions. So I'm certainly hoping uh, that people are working on that because I know that even, you know, where I live, you know, uh, uh, it's a complex and those are the types of conversations that people are, 
you know having you know to say is it really necessary for uh for myself to go get a you know solar system and then that neighbor gets one and another neighbor gets one and you end up having you know 40 or 50 solar systems in one place as opposed to doing the efficient thing and just you know pulling all those resources together and then you know i can imagine um, in future, if something like that happens, I'm not a property expert, but I can imagine that one day that might even be a selling point uh, for some of these buildings to say we have, you know, an, a, a small, you know, independent station. Never worry about load shedding if you come and live, you know, in uh, in our area, in our building um, or whatever it is. So. On the last point, um, I think uh, to help us to tie everything to together, we've spoken quite extensively about, you know, the broader industry, um, your business in particular, um, keen to get a sense of your funding journey, right? It's always something we want to understand, um, you know, from uh, the startup businesses, who's interested in your business, who has invested in your business. I mentioned earlier on that, uh, you know, we met uh, in, uh, what do you call this? We met in Dubai and at the time, you know, you were part of a cohort of businesses, uh, from South Africa that was, you know, trying to drum up investor interest, you know, in that part of the world. So, you know, what has your, your funding journey been like and who are the types of people that have uh, invested? So I think the funding journey has been quite interesting. So when we started this business, the founders and you know, friends and family that invested in the business, we we took a very bold bet on our ability to generate or at least to attract customers who would lease systems. So, you know, we put a lot of equity funding or at least a sufficient amount of equity funding into that. But in any, you know, game or in any business where you have to have equity as well as lever, you need to attract debt as well. And you need a sufficient amount of, of equity capital to allow you to attract the right type of debt. So I think when we met in Dubai, we, was, we were, you know, in the middle of our fundraise. Um, happy to say that we are concluding uh, that that fund uh, raising effort uh, to the extent where we'll be fully capacitated to continue rolling out um, quite a bit. The interest has come from, uh, let's call it companies in the TMMMT space, right? Uh, so that covers, you know, all the technology, media and, and other type of, of entities. Um, there's lots of interest from, let's call it fiber players, because I think you're seeing the commonalities in how to roll this out, um, the model as well, and just how there's a, there's a natural relationship that exists between connectivity and availability of power. And, you know, the fiber companies are looking at that with interest because they want to look at product pairing and also understand what is sticky or what is stickier than the other and what's next for them as well. So I think if you're following a lot of the, the information out in the public domain around, you know, the space slowly, slow, let's call it slowing down. Uh, there are a lot more homes that are being connected at a faster rate. So at some point, you get to a point where you've connected every single home. And what you're now doing is, is just driving cost efficiencies within that business and looking at other ways to, you know, continue on the growth path or, or to generate, you know, better margins. And it becomes a very... Uh, you know, low growth environment where there are just a few players and you're seeing the consolidation. So those, you know, fiber companies as well are looking at the next, uh, you know, frontier or next growth frontier for themselves and have shown quite a bit of interest. But we've also been very careful about who we 
who we you know who the investors are um and i think in a in a, in a couple of months time i think you know there will be a bit more clarity you know publicly as well on 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 the type of capital that's been raised maybe not necessarily the investors themselves um depending on how they want to to be conveyed or at least how they, how they want the message to be conveyed but we've also been very deliberate about uh, who we bring on board from an investor's perspective and this is equity purely um because we want to build a sustainable business one that has you know a lasting impression in the minds of customers on uh, on being a business that actually served them well especially during a time when there was a lot of noise in the market and a lot of businesses that didn't you know outlast the value proposition which is providing power for in perpetuity because this is ultimately a long game just in the because of the nature of the product that's being supplied it's not a quick and easy um, product to get involved in it's actually infrastructure if you really think about that and then on the debt side lots of um, ifis uh, have approached us so we're setting up structures there as well uh, and as well as local debt uh, so as you would know with any international you know finance institution they they always look for ways to partner with local providers of debt in a manner that doesn't cannibalize or affect the activities of the local partners. Uh, so typically you hear a lot of startups and very bullish startup founders saying, no, oh, we'll raise the money internationally. Sure. It's, <laughs> it's sometimes <laughs> it's not as, as straightforward as, you know, someone writes you a check internationally and, you know, because you have to think about a lot of things, um, you know, the where South Africa's currency is, its volatility, the interest rate environment, your ability to service whatever, you know, loans or, or debt you receive internationally. So you always need a mix of local and international partners that allow you to attract that investment and be able to make use of it and repay it uh, in a sustainable manner, or at least grow the business in, in a manner that allows those investors to to earn a return. So I think we we've been fortunate that we've we have partnered with um, with the right national finance institutions as well as the right local banks to to allow us to grow. So. From here on, it's just about making use of that capital and scaling at a at a faster rate than than we have been at this point. So, what what we're looking at now from a low low base is you know up to 100% growth month on month, and we're looking at you know continuing on that path. But obviously, it will slow down as as our installed base continues to to increase. But ultimately, we just want to continue growing in a sort of double digit environment and allow more and more customers to experience what what we provide. Are you comfortable to share what your installed base looks like right now? Not comfortable, mostly because of the the conversation we're having with investors. But um, since the last time we spoke, it's grown quite uh, considerably and the numbers are about 100% monthly. Okay, cool. So, you know, very fascinating discussion. Uh, before this, I, I, I promised Vincent that we're going to talk for about 20 to 30 minutes. But, you know, here we are, uh, you know, uh, a few minutes later, you know, having traversed uh, the world of, you know, solar power, um, load shedding. We've spoken quite a bit around, you know, where the energy market is going, um, you know, how in how we might even find ourselves in a circle, you know, to say that you um, are currently buying electricity from a utility, uh, that utility isn't able to meet demand. You get onto the independent uh, uh, power, power bandwagon. You have your own system, but over time, we might even find ourselves back again, uh, you know, where you have, you know, smaller, but smaller, uh, albeit utilities nonetheless, uh, that might be, you know, service 
servicing, you know, that common good. So that's been it. We were talking to uh, Vincent Maposa, who is uh, founder and CEO over at uh, Weetility. Vincent, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you very much, Mudiwa. Uh, I appreciate it. And uh, thank you to your listeners. This is Mudiwa's Take. Well, that was, you know, quite a discussion and I think quite a necessary one. Um, you know, we are talking uh, to utility. We're talking to a startup in the space, a business that's trying to solve a number of issues in the energy space. Uh, but I think this is like a great piece um, when you are thinking about all the discussions that we've had um, around uh, energy, uh, around load shedding, around, um, you know, government's uh, plans to bring bring on more independent power producers, you know, onto the grid, you know, all of that ties in because whilst you have, you know, some of the big projects, you know, coming online um, individually at household level, people are looking at uh, their own individual power and this lends itself, um, you know, to that discussion. So going forward, uh, it will be very interesting to see how the market develops. Um, all of those parallels that we drew between solar and fiber, um, the, the circle that we're identifying to say are we going to get to a point where people share um, some of those uh, solar uh, solar resources because those conversations are already being had um, you know that's going to be quite an interesting one to watch going forward and then i think the last one uh, will be around prices and cost right how are people going to uh, keep innovating are we going to see a drive to see prices coming down even further or is the innovation going to be around uh, some of the business models right now we're talking about energy as a service is that where the you know pricing innovation is going to be uh, we wait to see but for now just great to see that uh, you know you do have a lot of people in the solar industry that are coming up with solutions uh, we'll definitely be looking to catching up with more of these businesses just to see uh, what's going on in and around the market And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcast on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter. We're hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. Thank you to our amazing team. Our producer is Paige Muller. I've been Mudio Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight which is a multimedia live production. So for myself and the rest of the team, it is a good evening, good afternoon, and good morning.